there's been plenty of times where I'm like, wow, I can't imagine wanting that. But that's so great that that person consented to that and wants that and is like getting exactly what they wanted. Good for them. You know, like I can just be compersive towards them. I'm happy for them. I don't need to have that. I don't want to have that, but they're happy. And so that's, so, you know, some of it's fascinating in that way. And then you walk around and you see people doing things that you're like, oh, like, oh, 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 that could be really fun. Oh, I do want some of that, you know? So it, I think it helps people, being in environments like that can really help people figure out sexually what is erotic for them. Hello and welcome to Here in LA, Highland Park Edition. Today we talk with Imagine. Imagine I've known each other for decades, literally. She's a writer, an educator, a best-selling author, a sexpert, and an inspirational speaker. She does it all. She grew up in Southern California, went to school in Santa Barbara, which is where we met, has lived in a few spots in L.A., and around COVID, oh my God, she left us. Well, this podcast is about all of L.A., those who've just moved here, those who've been here forever, those who have been here for half of their lives, those who are here now, and a few who have sought greener pastures elsewhere. Imagine fits into the latter category, and we will talk about sex, drugs, rock and roll, and Highland Park. So get ready to rock. Hey, everybody. I'm in Highland Park with Imagine. Hey. <laughs> Imagine, do you have a last name? Not these days. I, I decided I get to have a mononym. Like Madonna did it, Prince did it. Beyonce still doing it. I figure I can do it. I've never met another Imagine. How did you come across this name? How did you just did you discover it? Did you make it? Gifted to me by spirit. It was the only way it could it could happen. I I couldn't I couldn't think my way to that name. I waited for the name for like twenty years. R really? Yeah, I knew in my thirties I was going to change my name uh -huh. one day when I figured out to what. You're not fifty. Yeah, baby. Are you? I'm in my 50s. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a beautiful woman <laughs> with uh, like short platinum-ish hair, uh, a, an amazing Frida Kahlo uh, shirt, tattoos, uh, rainbow sneakers, brand new vans that are leopard skin. I mean, we should we should own our ages, but you really look about 35. We're only as old as we think Beautiful we are. blue eyes. They're green, but thank you. What? <laughs> They're so green. And I'm even wearing a green shirt. Come on. They're bluer than that shirt. That's for sure. Oh. <laughs> okay. So we have known each other since, how old were you when we first met? 19. <laughs> 19. Crazy. I've known you well over 30 years now. That is nuts. Yeah. And did we meet at KCSB or at the Nexus? We went to college together. We probably met in the courtyard that... The, you know, at Stork Tower the Communications hangout. Tower, where all the the writers from the paper and all the music heads from the radio station would hang out. We uh, we went to college together at UC Santa Barbara, late 80s, early 90s. Perfect time. Greatest time ever. And um, have remained friends forever. Which is great. He's still one of my best buddies. Yay! So, you are no longer in Highland Park. You moved away from Highland Park. I did. And this podcast is not 
a PR thing for LA. It's it's real about yeah. LA. Nobody loves LA that I know more than you. Oh. You love Los Angeles. I do. And you know Los Angeles. You know it in a way that's very different from most people. I'm learning it. This is one of the things that Uber has humbled me as Mm. far as that goes. When I started driving Uber, I realized I didn't know shit about L.A. And, I mean, I've worked for all the... Any any, uh, publication that has L.A. in it, I've probably worked for it. Right. And, um... And 10, 15 years ago, I realized I really don't know it. Because I ended up in neighborhoods... For example, this backyard... Who would have known about this backyard where your old apartment was or your old house was in mm-hmm. Highland Park? Mm-hmm. I'd never been to those blocks. Yeah. So when people would say Highland Park, I would think about Figueroa. Right. I would think about York. But I, did, I guess I just never really knew about where people lived. I was in the little like valley of Highland Park. I was in the lowland of The lowland's close <laughs> to the, the 110. Close to the 110 and the river. Yeah. Between yeah. 110 and the river. So what was it like living there? I really liked Highland Park. Um, you know, it was sometimes walkable. Not not as walkable as I would love. Not like when I lived in Brooklyn. But, yeah. I um, Would you walk to uh, 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 Figueroa and get a burrito? Oh, I would walk to my favorite taco truck. They open at 5 every day. Right there on, right off of Figueroa in York. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I walked over there. So you did walk a bunch? I did. I walk sometimes. Yeah, but it would like be a little far to walk all the way down to Donut Friend or something. Yeah. I mean. So you would drive there? Usually. Uh, were you the only white person on your block? No, not at all. There was a bunch of white people. Oh, yeah. It was You're, a mix. It was a mix of folks. You were, you were renting this house. How many bedrooms in this house? It was a little two-bedroom, one bath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what years did you live there? Uh, 20, gosh, 2018 to 2020 or 2017, maybe to 2020. Yeah. It's about three years. Yeah. How much were you paying? (sighs) How much was I paying? 2200 a month, maybe? That seems like a steal today, doesn't it? I don't know. I live in New Mexico now. I pay like almost half that now. Oh, do you really? I do. We're in For New a Mexico. three bedroom, two bath, large house in the mountains. <laughs> so you're not in the city. What's that? You're not in the city. No. You're in the country. I'm in the country. In the mountains, mm. paying a grand, did you say? I'm paying like 1400 for a three bedroom house. Three bedroom. Yeah. That's the dream, right? I mean, it was pandemic, and I was like, what am I doing here? I can't see any of my friends. They're telling us we can't even go to the beach. This like, is when you were in Highland Park. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, in 2020. They did say that we couldn't go to the beach. It was ridiculous. I'm like, you're going to tell Los Angelenos they can't go to the fucking beach? <laughs> Can I say fucking on your, on your podcast? I wish you would. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nobody cared. We all did it anyway. But right. they were trying to prevent us from being at the beach for a little while. But yeah, you know, my, my friends were pretty intense about COVID things. And I just, I couldn't see anybody. So... I was like, I'm going to go live next door to my best friend. I called up my BFF in New Mexico. I was like, hey, I'm going to travel for a little bit. I'm going to start with you guys. You know, I was at like both of her kids' births and, you know, they're like teenagers now. One of Mm -hmm. them's 20. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah. So I called her up. I said, I'm going to come to you guys first. 
And she's like, oh, our renters next door just gave notice after eight years to move out. You can move in next door to me. So I literally got to move to New Mexico to this beautiful spot in the mountains, live next door to my best friend, and uh, get all the hugs I wanted. And, and got to see, you know, my nibbling finish high school and go through a gender transition and the whole thing. And then Ooh, the other you- one turned into a full-on teenager right before our eyes. The, the kid that you saw uh, come to this world... Had a had a a transition. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, so it was so cool to be there for that. Did and drag queens cause this transition? Yeah, it was definitely <laughs> the drag queens. We should blame them. They do so many good works in the world. This is just one of them. <laughs> we should note that uh, Imagine is a uh, a sex expert. Is that how you describe yourself? That's how I describe you to people. Sure, that works. What, sex what, educator. Sex educator. Author, writer, that's right. speaker, all the things. Filmmaker. You're, that's true. We'll talk about your film in a second. Yeah. Um, your most popular book is called? Lesbian Sex Secrets for Men. Bestseller. You know, sells itself. Doesn't need me. Perfect, perfect title. <laughs> or it did it one time. Um, yeah, my last book was Woman on Fire. Nine elements to wake up your erotic energy, personal power, and sexual intelligence. How's your erotic energy doing today, Tone? Meh. <laughs> erotic. 56 years old, you should see my belly. Your belly could be really erotic. That, that turns all the ladies on. It might. It might. Okay. Some people might love that. That's true. That is Some true. Some people might love a soft, hairy belly to lay there, their little there head is, on. There is a, uh, a screw for every bolt. There really is. Or something like that. It's true. There's a nut for every bolt. What a are those? A bolt for every screw. <laughs> but there is, though, isn't there? Yeah. And people should, should think about that. Yeah. That w- whatever you think you see in the mirror, somebody else is going to be sexually turned mm-hmm. on by what you see? Yeah, sure. And, like, I mean, it's just like the... Like, whatever crazy porn scenario you can come up with, someone's made it already. Like, well, look true. it up on the internet. You'll find it. Okay, but that's porn. <laughs> in real life, though. I know. I'm just talking about the fantasy world. In real life, does a cheerleader really want to deliver a pizza to me? I don't know. Maybe. People are just, you know, have obvious fears around safety and prevents us from getting to play some of those things out. But if you have fun friends who like to play, then you can create all kinds of scenarios with your friends. And so this is, okay, you've invited me to some of these things before, and I respectfully declined, because I'm just not that person. I want to be that person, right. but I'm, and I don't know what. And I think it's good to know that. It's good to know that about yourself. I guess I just, I maybe I have an insecurity that of the group of people they don't want me. They, they, so, so your friends over here, these very handsome men, yeah. I think they want them. They definitely want you. You'd be surprised, Tone. Hmm. You'd be surprised. Okay. When was your first, uh, I mean, do you call them orgies? When was your first group event? About how old were you for your first group situation? Hmm. Do you remember? Good question. Well, I mean, I had three sums in college. You did? Yes. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> yes, I was coming into my queerness and had a boyfriend. I had to do something. Who was your boyfriend? Vincent. Oh, Vincent. <laughs> Vincent got you and another girl over yeah. there? Yeah, yeah. That lucky I know. son of a... I know. The, the other black guy at UCSB. <laughs> <laughs> I 
it was I was friends with all four of you. <laughs> there was you, There's Vincent, Sean. Sean, and Monty. You- <laughs> Monty, MCPs. Please don't tell me MCPs got some of this. This, this threesome business. No. All right, good. <laughs> I was jealous enough of him. His he was my taste. coworker. We kept it. We kept it on the sort of professional. So in Isla Vista, there was threesomes happening. No big deal. Yes, definitely. There, I'm sure there's much more than that happening now. <laughs> do you think so? Yes. I feel like the kids are a lot tamer these days. Some of them are, but they're, you know, yeah. Okay. So over time, okay, so what? They've would, grown up with the internet. We didn't true. grow up with the internet. Imagine what we would have been doing do if we had TikTok grown up with the internet. I do a little bit. I'm getting on the TikTok these there days a little bit. There are some very forward young ladies nowadays. Yeah. And they have this daddy kink mm-hmm. where they want older guys. Mm-hmm. Should I believe them? No heterosexual woman wants to date, when she's young, wants to date boys her age. Why? Because they're so immature and stupid. Do we get any better when we get older? Some of them do. Okay. Some of you do. <laughs> I'm still wearing a baseball cap. You are. I am still just as immature. <laughs> I have Drew Barrymore poster on my wall. I don't think, I don't think I'm the daddy that they want. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. Okay, so what was the biggest group event that you had? Number of people, approximately. That I've been to. Yeah, like like how big was the biggest orgy you were ever at? Well, I've been to adult sex camps. So when you go to sex camp, it's at like a, you know, at least the ones I went to. Uh, I used to teach at them a lot. You know, it, it takes place at a summer camp. So there's cabins of people that come together. There's tents. You know, you you walk through the grounds and someone's over there getting flogged against a tree. And then you go by the dungeon. And there's people playing in the dungeon. And then you walk down to the woods and there's someone getting, you know, a blowjob or whatever. <laughs> like doing some scene in the woods. You know, by the water. Somebody's doing something at the water. I mean, it's just, there's workshops happening and all these workshop spaces. You know, and then at night there's like special, special parties and themes and Sexy times. So it's like just a, it's a it's an adult playland. Of a of a hundred people, of two hundred people. Oh, that was easily seven eight hundred. Seven or eight hundred. Yeah, I would say so. Eight hundred people in the woods. The woods are that big that you guys have sure you have privacy. It might not have been that much. Maybe it was five hundred. I don't know. People. But it was it was a good it was a good amount of people. That's a lot of people. Yeah, it's kind of like an experiment of like what happen what would happen if we bring the. The queer kinksters together with the Tantra people and the, you know, just overall sex pause folks. Um, yeah, it, it's sort of like a mix of, of various sort of outlier, you know, and then the swingers would be there. You know, it's like different <laughs> sort of like sexual outlier communities who who like group play. Is this just heaven for a, a sex bird? I mean, it's fun for me. I mean, it's all research tone. Uh, <laughs> for example, if if I was somebody who just loved to eat a lot of food, I would love to go to like a Vegas buffet. Is it kind of like a Vegas buffet for a foodie? Sure. You look at the buffet and you're like, I don't want any of that. That does not look good to me. <laughs> but I'm glad somebody likes that. Okay, fine. You know? Mm-hmm. Ooh, what is that? I've never seen that before. That's fascinating. I'll try a little of that. You know, oh, here's my favorite. Oh, yeah, pile that one on. Lots of that. Sure. And because, I imagine, because of 
the situation, nobody's being judgmental. Nobody's being, are, are sometimes people being too aggressive? There's a lot of rules in, oh. in any good community and any good sex party is going to have, they're going to set the container so it can hold people and lead people into what could be a fun, playful, consensual space for lots of different people. Mm -hmm. um, so there's always rules and there's, you know, in, in any good play space, there's going to be some kind of like opening circle or opening icebreakers, you know, way to meet each other and find out what each other's into. People will do a little go around like, here's what I'm interested in tonight. Oh. Um, these are the things I, that are off the table for me. Mm -hmm. um, this is my STI status and the last time I was tested. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And so do you wear like a hat? Do you have wristbands? Like, how do I know like on day two, oh yeah, that's the person who doesn't like that? Uh, you talk to people and you find out what they're talk? into. I know. It's it's a crazy idea. <laughs> Communication and sex? Wait I know, a second I know, here. I know. It makes it so much hotter if people would just get that. <laughs> this sounds like it's just a wonderful place. It's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. And I think it's also, you know, there, there's been plenty of times where I'm like, wow, I can't imagine wanting that. But that's so great that that person consented to that and wants that and is like getting exactly what they wanted. Good for them. You know, like I can just be compersive towards them. I'm happy for them. I don't need to have that. I don't want to have that, but they're happy. And so that's, so, you know, some of it's fascinating in that way. And then you walk around and you see people doing things that you're like, Oh, like, Oh, 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 that could be really fun. Oh, I do want some of that, you know? So it, I think it helps people being in environments like that can really help people figure out sexually what is erotic for them. Because sometimes we just don't know. Like earlier you were talking about someone you know that mm -hmm. doesn't fantasize. They don't, a woman who like doesn't really have any fantasies, doesn't have a lot of sexual feelings. Like there's a lot of people like that. Mm -hmm. I've been working primarily with women and non-binary folks on sexuality for a long time. And um, I mean, I think a lot of it is that uh, oftentimes people are not as visually uh, motivated um, in the same way. And I think, you know, we have seen some some differences in the research based around based around looking at people's sex characteristics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I always hate to make those kinds of generalizations, but there is some of that. Um, and I think I think for a lot of heterosexual women in particular, I think they haven't seen the thing that would really turn them on. So they don't, they don't even think to think about it because they don't know about it. Mm. Um, I think we're in a different time where there's a lot more out there. There's a lot more ways to see it and to find it if they want to seek it out. Um, but they may not necessarily think to do that in the same way. Talking about how some women don't even know what will be exciting to them, but women read romance novels and talk to each other more than men do. Yeah. Do women not talk about what pleases them? 
to each other? Um, I mean, I'm sure different friend groups approach that differently. Some people are just not comfortable admitting what they really like. Mm. They're, Even to I their mean, besties. Listen, the two greatest sexual fears people have are the fear of being rejected and the fear of being judged. So, right. Right. That fear of being judged prevents people from being honest about sexuality in all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. With all kinds of people, depending what level that fear is at. So you used to do these incredibly popular firewoman retreats. I did. In San Diego? In North County. Yeah. Okay. At the Fire Garden in Encinitas. And at this area. place, and the, the reason I know about this is a girl I dated went a couple times. Yeah. Loved she it. She went like every time, I think. Totally loved it. Yeah. And I would imagine, she told me a little bit about it without revealing confidentiality. Mm-hmm. I mean, she couldn't stop talking because she was so energized by it. Yep. And, and in fact, called you the Oprah of sex. <laughs> best, best title anyone ever gave. And by the way, remember, I drove some other women to the site yeah. who had flown in from like, Ohio or Oregon somewhere, yeah. they too agreed with her yeah. that you're the Oprah of sex. Yeah, that's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love that. <laughs> so, I guess what I guess one reason that women responded so positively to that retreat was to your point that it seems like women have a hard time sometimes expressing themselves for what they want uh, for a number of reasons. Including the fact that we call women nasty names when they're in touch with their sexuality and totally. they ask for what they want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, it's very hard. I think it's very hard for anyone to just really be who they are sexually in this world. Like, honestly. So people who do that are are courageous. Like, we need more examples of that. And... You know, at Firewoman, part of it, there were so many pieces, you know, but I really always saw my, the biggest part of my job wasn't as much education as giving people permission. And just because they need that permission from somewhere and that's, you know, that permission can hopefully carry them until they get to the point where they just give it to themselves. You know, but having someone saying, hey, it's okay to explore this. Yeah, go over to the spanking booth and try a spanking. See if you like that. (laughs) Go over and hold a flogger and see what it feels like to, like, swing a flogger. You know, go and learn how to, you know, write erotic poetry with this person over here. You know, whatever it was, like, it just, it gave people, we did an erotic carnival where we would have, like, maybe 10, 12 stations. And people could just go try on a different skill they could try you know oh let me try this over here this over there and so it was a big production I brought in a lot of teachers people who knew how to tie rope people who showed people how to do electricity play people who electricity um, sure so like those those wands that shock you Mm -hmm. yeah have you had that before yeah do you like that I think I like giving it more than I like receiving it Yeah, I'm more of a top with electricity. Interesting. Some people love it, though. It seemed to me that at some point in your weekend, your firewoman weekend, the ladies are just naked. Just walking around. Sometimes, yeah. In the hot tub, whatever it is. (laughs) In the car on the way home, they're naked. You really do free them of the stuff, and now they feel free. Yeah, and I think 
there's something that happens when people are able to work on their own liberation and community. You know, when you have witnesses to your desires and, and permission for the things that you really want instead of all the things you've been told your whole life that you're supposed to want, which we all get, but I think women really get, you know. And I work with moms all the time who it's like, well, you know, be sexy, but don't be too sexy because you're a mom. <laughs> and, you know, it's like there's this like middle zone everyone is supposed to inhabit where they're, you know, not frumpy, but they're also not whatever is considered over the top sexy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we get to own it wherever it is. Um, But I think when you're in community and you get that kind of permission, encouragement, witnessing, camaraderie, you know, and then also then you see people taking, making courageous moves, then you're more likely to make your own courageous move. Whatever that is, whether that's being naked in front of other women is, is a really, you know, wild, you know, unusual, risky thing for me or admitting to a fantasy that I have or you know, uh, coming out or deciding I want to explore some part of my sexuality, whatever that is, mm-hmm. whatever that is. What's the first step that people should, should do to feel better about themselves? I mean, I think a big piece of it is is creating a, a bit of an analysis of what you've taken in, uh, what you've been told is appropriate for you as a sexual being, and then doing whatever it takes for you to get to that place of feeling like you have permission to like and be and be turned on by whatever mm-hmm. is really true. And so I think for some people that means unlearning a lot of the conditioning they might have grown up with, um, particularly if they grew up in religious communities or communities where there was a lot of intense repression around sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um for some people that may be just, you know, uh, uh, there's always going to be a fa- phase or many phases of education and exposing themselves to new ideas and exploring things. And, you know, and there aren't, unfortunately, there aren't a lot of places to do that. And that's part of what made Firewoman so special. Um, it was this space where people could truly explore who they were as sexual people. Let's turn the page hmm. to your film. Hmm. Your film is called At Your Cervix? At Your Cervix. The film is about gynecology through the lens of gynecological education. We're looking at medical education in the film. And, like, I mean, how many people actually think about, well, where does a gynecologist first learn to do a pelvic exam? Do I want to be the first one? Probably not. Right. <laughs> Right. I don't think you. I don't think there's very many regular folks who are trying to be somebody's somebody's first exam. Um, they have to learn in some way, and many of them do learn with trained teachers who uh, use their own bodies to teach. Go into medical schools and teach in clinical settings. That is work that 
I did for 10 years in New York. I was really committed to helping the medical community with sexuality. And when I learned about gynecological teaching associate work, I wanted to do that. Um, I'm someone that's really comfortable with my body. I'm comfortable teaching using my body. I think the body is an amazing teaching tool. Why wouldn't we use that to teach a good pelvic exam? So that work has a long history. It started in the 70s. Um, we wanted to chronicle that work in the film, but then as we started working on the film, we realized many, many students are being told to, you know, quote unquote, air quotes here, practice uh, pelvic exams on anesthetized patients. Oh, so, so let's rewind just a bit. You would put yourself in the stirrups right, and let these medical students do an examination on you and you would provide feedback to them exactly. while they're doing it. Exactly. Because the traditional way was to give somebody laughing gas or whatever, pass, make them pass out and perform the exam on a, a passed out person? Um, they've perhaps done that in the past. I mean, lots of unsavory things have happened in, wow. in medicine. Um, but no, this is a this is very much a thing of the present. Um, Still they do this? Oh, yeah. Research came out last year showing that 84% of medical students have done exams on non-consenting, most of the time, anesthetized patients who've come in for a surgery. Um, like Like a broken knee? What kind of surgery? We have, it took us years, part of why it took so long to make the film is we were looking for patient stories. And most people don't know this has happened to them because they were anesthetized. Right. So there are sometimes ways people find out. And it took us quite a few years to find the three stories that we did find for the film. One of those stories was about an exploratory knee surgery. It and was a knee had, story. Yeah. And someone had uh, an exam at least one, they don't probably necessarily know how many, while they were under anesthesia. Um, there was gauze with iodine on it on their vulva after their surgery. They asked the facility. They had heard about this. They knew that it happened. And so they then called the facility and said, did this happen to me? Is that what's happened? And they, the facility confirmed it and said yes. Um, Is that legal to do? In... A lot of states it is. We are actually, this is part of what we're working on with At Your Cervix, is we're trying to end this practice. This practice is assault. And, and in any other context, if someone is inebriated or under the influence of something where they cannot properly consent and you insert something into their vagina, it is very clear what that is. Because Lord knows if this happened to men, if we went in for a shin surgery and our booty holes were explored for practice... And we didn't consent to it. We'd burn down that hospital. That actually does happen. <laughs> but it the thing, to men? It, yes, but the, the, there's not as much research on it, so we don't have as many numbers. But definitely, I know that that happens. Um, I've heard people talk about that. And and what what do the medical professionals say as their excuse? Why do, why do, well do you they know they excuses? know they're in a teaching hospital, so they should just know. Oh, so this only happens in teaching hospitals. No, it can happen in a lot of different kinds of facilities where, where there are students. It's very common for it to happen when medical students are there. This, and I think it's important to say, this isn't even a good way to learn a pelvic exam. Because <laughs> the person's passed out. They're passed out. No real pelvic exam is ever going to feel like that. Their muscles are never going to be that right. relaxed. They're not going to even feel like that. And so it's not a good learning 
uh, scenario, the only real opportunity for learning there, which is a, a, a real opportunity, is to be able to palpate some kind of pathology. If there's a pathology present, fibroids or cysts or whatever, mm -hmm. tumors, things. Um, but again, there's no reason to not just ask and get permission. Right. And so, so like one of the things I'm sure that when, when you are the, the, uh, the volunteer, the, vo the volunteer, uh, We're paid. subject, We're paid. Who's also the, well, what I'm saying is <laughs> you're the patient kind of, yes, teacher patient. You could say things like, Hey man, your hands are cold or exactly. The equipment is cold. Exactly. You got to warm it up. Mm -hmm. A past we'll person say, can't say that. Yeah. Or we'll say, that's feeling really pokey. That doesn't feel good. Could you shift your wrist down a little bit? And that would make that more comfortable. But we know how to direct them. We're trained really well. We know how to direct them to make it a comfortable exam. And those students walk out of there glowing. I mean, they've never had that kind of instruction before. And they probably will never get it again unless they get GTAs again in their, in their medical careers. And I've got to say, you are also, I imagine, you are humanizing the patient exactly because rarely exactly is that patient giving real instructional feedback to the doctor I bet. right but what we are doing that turns medical education on its head is we're saying to them by the way that we teach when you come into a room with a patient you're not looking to the side to your colleague to get the to 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 that authority over the body to get information about this patient's body who's right in front of you. You ask the patient. They are the authority over their own body. And I think that piece is is the great um, that that whole way that we hold the work where and, and GTA programs across the country and in other parts of the world can definitely vary. We are very much against having a someone from the medical faculty in the room. They do not get to come in the room and be the authority. It, it is very important that that, t that patient that's on the, the table be the teacher, that, so we're training them that that's the person you ask. Mm -hmm. I love it. Okay, so this, this movie has taken a long time to get made. Mm -hmm. It looks like you're making, I mean, you've been making progress over the last while. But it looks like you're kind of in the home stretch. Has it all been edited together? The is film's the done. The film's done. The film's done. It's out. It's won some awards already. Wait a second. It's out? It's out. Why haven't I seen this? I've invited you to screenings, Tony. I don't know. Why I'm haven't you shy. come? Deep down. <laughs> uh, where can people see this movie? They they should go to atyourcervixmovie.com okay. and join our community we will let them know as it's screening yeah no it's on the road right now we're we're doing film festivals um we're screening it at colleges and universities we're doing this fall we've got a whole tour coming up we're also doing our own virtual release so if you go on the website there will be a you know please notify me when that happens okay and then we will let people know um it's going to be, shh, don't tell anyone. It's going to be on PBS in the future. Wait a second. <laughs> I know. But I thought we defunded PBS. Oh, that's NPR. We didn't defund either. Yeah. Well, this is exactly what should be on PBS. I think so. Well, hold I on, mean, though. Is there nudity in this? There's got to be, right? Uh, not really. We, we, we yeah. It's, it's tasteful. It's tasteful. And, I mean, kids aren't going to watch this anyways. I don't know. Men probably aren't even... It's the men sexy. who watch it are like, wow, I had no idea. Oh, really? They learn a lot. Do you still have that but, great image for the poster 
where it was like kind of dark around the edges and these eyes are looking through this. They're looking in the speculum. Yeah. That's the poster? Yeah. That's an awesome image. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We want people to see the film. It's not, you know, it's, it's a hard film for folks, you know, mm -hmm. because we're talking, we're tapping into medical trauma. Many people have had medical trauma, um, whether it was this or something else, I think, mm -hmm. you know, but there's really no more vulnerable place for any human than to put their life in someone else's hands and say, you, you will put me under anesthesia not so far that I go, but that, you know, and then you're going to take care of my body. I'm entrusting my body to you while I am under anesthesia. I mean, there's really no greater trust than that. So I think the, the breach of trust with this is so immense. People don't want to believe that it happens, but literally research came out last year that showed that 84% of students have done at least one exam on an anesthetized patient. Wow. Um, how, so how has the medical community responded to your movie? Well, it's not a monolith. So, so far I can say nurses get it the fastest. They, they are very interested in it as are medical students. Um, and we really want to reach medical students because we feel that's the only way this is going to change. I mean, this has literally been going on since the dawn of gynecology. You know how gynecology started. No, yeah. No, no. No. Well, we, we, we have a whole historical piece in the film because it's important for people to understand that gynecology as a discipline was established by a man named Marion Sims, who's been often called the father of gynecology. Um, and he made his name in gynecology by experimenting violently on not anesthetized patients. Mm. They were awake and feeling everything and they were black enslaved women. Oh. And that's how, you know, he did repeated experimental surgeries to try to perfect different um, practices and, you know, met with some success with that and was very much lauded for that work. And he did that very much at the, at the pain and expense of, of a lot of black women. Mm. And, um, so I think that history, if we if we really look at that as being the genesis of gynecology, it's not a big stretch to to think, oh, well, no wonder they think it's okay if patients are under anesthesia to just do what they need to do because they're there and, you know, there's this body that's available to them. Hmm. And there's this idea of like, oh, well, you know, people know what happens in a teaching hospital. No, they don't. Nobody thinks that because they're going into a teaching hospital that they're going to get extra pelvic exams that they don't need for their own care that are solely for the education of some students. Now, that doesn't mean they might not be willing, but they want to be asked. Is it, is it, is it clearly marked that you're in a teaching hospital? So like uh... some of them are, some of them are, it's not clear. Yeah. They might, they, there might be doctors there that work with universities, but maybe they're not in a university facility in their practice and they're working with students. I mean, students can be in a lot of different kinds of Because UCLA has spaces, has places. Sure. USC, Reagan. Yep. yep. Uh, I'm sorry, UCLA, Reagan, yep. USC, King, yep. King Drew. Should I assume that just because it has college letters on there that maybe it's a teaching hospital as opposed to Kaiser or... Uh, uh, Cedars? Yeah, it's probably more likely you're going to see students there. 
But like I said, students are sometimes in small clinics. They're not always in hospitals. I mean, mm. th this can happen in all kinds of different facilities. And it's important to say it doesn't happen in all of them. Right. Um, you know, not all doctors are, are teaching their students this way. But I do think there's a, a paternalism in medicine and medical education where a lot of the doctors in practice that are working with students say, well, this is how I learned. And so they're going to learn that way. I mean... It's the same thing people use with circumcision of boys. Well, I'm circumcised and I want my son to look like me. This doesn't make any sense. When you're, when you're literally choosing to keep reproducing and extending something that, a practice that actually is violent. It's a violation of people. And again, the, the ultimate purpose of, of, of making this examination more human, mm. more scientific, um, and... I don't want to say more pleasant, but but less unpleasant mm -hmm. is so that women do this regularly so that they can catch things early. Right. Is that is that the purpose? Yeah. I mean, as far as gynecological care. Yeah. I mean, and the, the recommendations keep changing. I mean, we don't need annual exams anymore. We oh. need them every three years now. Oh, um, even five years, depending on what our last number of paps were. So, you know, those those things keep changing. And so, you know, I also think this idea that everyone who goes through medical school has to do, you know, I don't know. They have they all have quotas. They've got some quota when they're on their rotations that says, oh, you've got to do 30 exams or whatever. They do? Yeah. And th and so I think that's why there's this pressure of, like, get in there and get as much experience as you can. Mm. And, you know, and so this, the system is problematic in right. some really critical ways. Um, there's someone that we interview in the film who did some writing about this. When he was in medical school, he, he did over 100 exams on his three-week rotation on patients. Hundred different patients. That's mm. just one student, right? At one medical school. This wasn't eighty years ago. This mm -hmm. was like ten years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, and he ended up feeling so horrible. There was such a deep moral injury to him that he went to the law school, solicited their help, and they went and got a law passed in the state of Hawaii banning this practice. Good. Um, so he went on to do something good with it. But you know, I think. Like understanding, like that's one student out of 60 students. So all 60 of those students were on this rotation, you know, being told, get, get all this, you know, oh, get in there, get in there, do your bimanual exam, try a speculum exam, it, you know. And he went on to become a psychiatrist. There was no reason <laughs> for that. There was no reason right. for him to be invading people's bodies. Mm-hmm at the behest of his supervisors, his precursors, mm -hmm. preceptors, excuse me, his preceptors. Um, so, I mean, I think that some things like that just really need to be looked at in medical mm -hmm. education. I mean, is it important to learn how to do a good pelvic exam? Yes, if you're going to work with people with vaginas <laughs> and potentially be needing to examine that part of the body. Yeah. This may be the dumbest question you'll hear all day. You are very aware of the trans community. Mm -hmm. Do trans people get pelvic exams? Sure, yeah, of course. Is it, is it the same as with a woman who is born a woman? 
Well, when you say trans people, I, I don't assume there you, you mean go. one particular okay. thing. I hope you know what I'm asking. Well, trans men who have vaginas would need a pelvic exam. Okay. They still have a vagina. If they have a cervix, then they're going to want to do a pap smear and mm -hmm. check the cervix. Um, if there's trans women who have um, had vaginas created surgically, mm -hmm. um, they're still going to want to maintain their own health. You know, they're still going to go in for an exam. It's not, they're not going to get a pap smear right. because there's not a cervix or a place where they're going to be taking those cells from in the same way. But sure, mm -hmm. we all need to know that that part of our body is healthy. Do you think that medical students are, are being trained on trans people? Um, I mean, I think that in general, we know that with violations in medicine or in any system, it is always the most marginalized people that are harmed the most. Mm. And the same thing goes for this. I mean, I think that, um, I think that it's very possible that it happens quite a bit with trans folks mm. in a way that we don't necessarily know or are able to quantify. Um, we did, there was a Hastings report that came out about a year ago that showed that black folks were four times as likely to have intimate exams, whether it was a pelvic or a rectal or prostate exam, intimate exams, uh, than, than white folks. So, wow. I mean, we know that we, we know that there are, there's so many racial disparities in healthcare and mm -hmm. this is another one. Can, can, can people download this movie? Because it might be uncomfortable for some people to watch it in a public spot. If they, if they join us for our virtual screening, they'll be able to watch it in their own Good. private you Good. Know, private company, whatever, whatever and, that is and, for them. And I like the way you phrase it. I think every person with a vagina for sure should watch this movie, right? Because they're going to have to go through this. I mean, I think we should all care about this. Make you know, I mean, too. literally, yeah, literally... Patients are being violated while they're under anesthesia. You know, this is a social justice documentary. We are working on laws right now in seven different states. We just wrote a law from scratch in Colorado. It just passed both houses almost really? unanimously. And it's getting ready to be signed by the governor. I'm very proud of that. When you say we, who are you talking about? My team, my legislative team of two, which is just me and one other person. Who's the other person? Livia Fry. Livia Fry. Livia, shout out Livia Fry. Yep. So you... The person in front of me, imagine, the person who I saw Guns N' Roses with. I don't know. Did we ever see? We, we saw Guns N' Roses Did together. we? We, we saw so many things We together. definitely saw Jane's Addiction. Wrote a law. I was at the Guns N' Roses show. Co-wrote co a that. law. Yes. That got passed. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make you feel on top of the world? I'm feeling great about it. I, I, what I want to see, it's the most comprehensive law in the United States yet. There are 21 states who have laws so far. We're about to sign on a few more from this session. Um, but I mean, Missouri just passed a law. How did that happen? You know, they're burning down libraries there. <laughs> so are, are these laws to say you can't do it to anesthetize people who don't know? Yes. It's, exactly. it's that basic. Exactly. And, and I think that that's probably why it got passed because, because even if you are the most hardcore conservative woman, yeah. you're like, yeah, no, there's so few nonpartisan issues these days. This yeah. truly is as nonpartisan as you get because and it doesn't matter like what side of the political aisle so to speak you're on you can understand that that kind of breach of someone's bodily autonomy matters the most private of areas yeah 
They call them private parts. Right. Yes. <laughs> and you're drugging somebody so that you can go get in there. Well, they're not drugging them to do that, but they're being opportunistic about the fact that they're being drugged for something else. Oh. Now, now I've connected the dots. Yeah. So you go in for surgery. They put you under. A lot of times they'll bring students into the room. There may be students that are part of the care team that are going to hold a retractor or whatever, get to observe or maybe help a little bit in surgery. But that's a very different thing from like, oh, go ahead and do a pelvic exam on this vagina because it's available. Is, Is this something that could also be passed federally? Or do you, do you have to go to the states for this kind there of thing? There are some people that think that this is already covered over, like, the the National Women's Law Center. We had a conversation with them recently. And they were talking about how they feel that it is covered under the ACA and the, the gender rules for non-discrimination in the ACA. Mm-hmm. Um, but that hasn't stopped these institutions from doing this. Right. So we are not going to stop until we get laws in all 50 states. We want to see this Colorado law be the model law because it's truly the most comprehensive. It's the only law that includes whistleblower protection. It includes a very clear consent process, what that process needs to be, um, that this is a discrete consent process that needs to be separated from the the rest of the consent Mm-hmm. that you will give when you're going in for a procedure like that. You have to specifically um, sign off on it. Yes. Great. So that they so that means they really know that this is this different thing. Are you willing to do this for students and for how many? And did you want to meet them first? And here are their names. Mm. Like there's no reason why why a patient shouldn't know those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that's in this law is very clear liability. And if there is not liability, if if these physicians' licenses are not on the line and if the accreditation of the facilities is not on the line, it's not going to stop because it's been going on since the beginning. Mm-hmm. At your cervix m- film? At your cervix movie. At your cervix movie.com. Yes. And we are at your cervix movie on TikTok and at your cervix doc on Twitter. And you can easily find us on Facebook. Are you doing the TikToks yourself? Started to. Starting to. Yes. Do you like TikTok? It's a different beast. It is. I do like it because anything to not, you know, give more attention or money to Mark Zuckerberg and his crew. But, um, yeah. I mean, the algorithm's really different. We, we, we had something go really viral really fast. And we were like, oh, whoa, wowza. <laughs> uh, so we've had to, yeah, it's a learning curve. All right, let's wrap up back in L.A. Mm. Well, when you're in New Mexico mm-hmm. or traveling the world, you, you, you globetrotter you, and you think about L.A. and you miss L.A., what do you miss? The beach. That's right. You wanted to go to the beach today. I am going to the beach Okay, today. good for you. When we're, when we're finished. Am I taking you to the train station so you can go Even to the beach? Even if it's cold. No, I got to ride. You got to ride? All right, good. Ride. What do you like so much about the beach? Oh, that's right. You're a mermaid, aren't you? I am. I'm a beached mermaid in New Mexico. I've got to get out of there. I say this because when you were living <laughs> so. in New York, you would go to the mermaid parade all the time. I know. You'd doll yourself up. up. Yep. That's so fun. What is it about... Because you grew up in Riverside. You grew up in Riverside. I did. But then you went to school in Santa Barbara. I did. 
I don't remember you on the beach a lot in Santa Barbara. I loved the beach. I've always loved the beach. Were you in the water, though? Sometimes. The water there was, you know, as you know, full of full of a lot of tar. Yeah. It'd come out with tar all over you. Well, definitely on your feet. I only went to the beach a few times. Oh, man. Yeah. Stacy T's wanted to go skinny dipping with me one very cold December. Silly man. You didn't go? Hell yeah, I said yes to that. I was going to say. <laughs> I I remember Stacy T's. <laughs> uh, but it shouldn't take a beautiful woman to say, let's go skinny dipping in the middle of the night for me to go to the beach. We're, we're surrounded by I this know. beautiful beach. You take this gorgeous beach for granted. What are you doing? I did. I mean, I remember one time a bunch of our friends in college, we all realized we weren't going to watch the sunset very often. And we were like, how do we have access to the most beautiful performance of the day right here off of the beautiful central california coast and how often do we go experience it and so we 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 were like we're gonna do it every night we're gonna meet on the beach for sunset every night and then do whatever else we're doing and then of course that lasted for like three days or something okay so when you go to the beach today what are you gonna do i am going to sit and bake in the sun and i might have to lay all the way down because it might be a little breezy because it's not super hot yet and then when I'm hot enough, I'm going to run in the water and dunk all the way in. Do you wear a bikini? Do you wear a one-piece? Tom, I've never been a bikini person. Shorts. Shorts. I, I Definitely just, shorts. I just ask questions here. I know you do. <laughs> I, I honestly don't ever remember you at the beach. So I don't know. Well, because you didn't go to the beach. So the, we weren't the going runaways, to the beach together. The runaways wore bikinis. <laughs> except I don't think Joan Jett did. Yeah. And you're way more of a Joan Jett person, aren't you? Probably. Yeah. Have you met Joan Jett? You know, she showed up to one of, when I was a drag king in the late 90s. A drag king? Yeah. What's that? For reals? I am from For reals? the suburbs of Illinois. <laughs> I know I've Dude, lived here a long time. How long have you been living under your rock? <laughs> the, almost the entire time. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> Drag kinging became a real thing. I would say the drag king movement really took off in New York okay. in the 90s when I had moved there. You and started I started, it. I didn't start it, but I was a part of that time. I was a part of that scene. And these are women uh -huh. who identify as drag kings? Yeah, who dress, you know, we're doing like Marlene Dietrich. We're like, you know, we're, oh, okay. we're dressing just like drag queens. So Madonna Same Vogue uh, video costumes we are performing gender for entertainment that's what drag really is to me it's all drag everyone needs to get over themselves because it's all drag you some people wear corporate drag every day some people wear waitress drag some people wear their punk rock drag some people wear drag drag gender drag our, our uh, it's all drag our creative studies uh icon robin bell wore uh, Emily Dickinson drag. She did. She wore Emily Dickinson drag. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so drag king yeah. is what? It's, Are you cross-dressing? It's performing masculinity as, as drag. Women performing masculinity. Sure. And do you do the dances? So I know what a drag queen does. Is it similar for a drag king? There's definitely, you know, more lip-syncing involved than, you know, any of us would like. But... <laughs> But that's the it fun thing. It could be thing. fun. It could be fun. 
Um, None of us are going to sing better than Beyonce. So we may as well lip sync, right? Well, we'd be like singing, you know, Billy Idol or we'd be singing like Elvis or something. That makes sense. Right. What do you remember what you would sing as a drag king? Oh, I did a lot of Prince. I did a lot of Prince. Yeah. I pl- I I was like I was like kind of a ladies man, so I usually had like a, a really sexy woman on both arms. Um and so yeah, one night I was hosting, I started a show called Cocktail and I was hosting <laughs> the show and Joan Jett kind of sneaks in a few minutes late and no. sits down in the front. For the whole show, and she snuck out before I got to talk to her at the end. Oh. Um, but yeah, so Joan Jett one time saw me perform drag in New York. I'm sure she remembers. <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask you a question you don't have to answer if you don't want to. You have been with men. You've been with women. You've been with trans people. Intimately. In bed. Maybe not even on bed. Maybe on a chair, maybe on the floor, maybe on the ceiling. All the places. What is different about being with a trans person? You can't make a generalization like that. Please do, though. (laughs) Trans people make up what? 1% of the society? Uh, Those numbers are coming up. Do you think it's 2%? I mean, I don't think we we necessarily know. Because they're in the closet still? Yeah, and because our ideas about gender are evolving. And I think that... Mm -hmm. More and more people are understanding that gender isn't a binary. It's not like A or B, that it's a spectrum. It's, there's a lot of different kinds of people, um, just like there's diversity in all other aspects of who we are. Why, why would we think then that with gender, it's just so special that it's not as diverse? Like we've got all these ethnic differences and religious differences and body size and type differences and color and all the things but like oh but gender it's one or two <laughs> you know it makes no sense you're right it doesn't you know look at this garden we're sitting in i mean how many kinds of flowers are we looking at and how many colors right in this moment and and you 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 mentioned a, a perfect person with prince so here's a guy mm-hmm. who dresses as if he was gay or at least bi but we've never heard a story about prince being gay or bi he had a what? He had a woman uh, Are you breaking... alter ego. Right. He had that. Yes. And But we just, we weren't calling it transgender then. We were, you know, we didn't have that language. And he didn't use that language because he wasn't interested in fitting in people's boxes anyway. Exactly. But so... what I'm saying is, a man growing up in the Midwest like I did, if, if Prince wasn't a rock star and he just walked down the street with his lingerie and his frilliness... We'd be like, yeah, yeah, look at the gay guy over there. But he wasn't. No, he really did love women. He really, right. really loved women. Right. But he also loved the woman in himself. But but my point is, to your point, there is a huge spectrum of people. Right. And you can dress that way and have no interest in making out with a, a dude. Well, how you express your gender doesn't denote who you are as a sexual person. They're two mm-hmm. different things, but we conflate those all the time. So... My original question on what's different about being with a trans person is the correct answer. Everybody's different, no matter what their whatever their thing is. That kissing one girl is is just as different as kissing another girl is just as different as kissing a boy or a trans person. I think what's different is that we're conditioned differently. Women are con- you know cis women are conditioned in a very particular way from a very young age. It's our job to be pretty, 
and sexually attractive. That's our job. <laughs> and so we may follow that and internalize that, or we may push up against that and right. and learn how to be something that feels more authentic to who we really are. And it might also be that. That's fine, too. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that if that's really truly who we want to be. Um, men are socialized in a particular way as well. Mm. I think the thing, and why I wrote my first book, um, Lesbian Sex Secrets for Men, was that there's a lot of things for heterosexuals to learn from queer sex. There's a lot of things for heterosexuals to be freed up around, around the ways in which queer people have sex. That's one place where I think we've won a little bit because we don't have quite as much of the preconditioning as heterosexuals do. You know, in sex, boy is going to play this role, girl's going to play that role. We don't have that as much. It does exist in queer and gay communities, but there's a lot more terrain that we get to explore. It's not assumed one particular person's gonna play one particular role all the time or whatever. Um, and so I think it gives us more opportunity to explore and be authentic in that exploration and, and find out the things that we like. Um, and I think that that's something that a lot of heterosexual people are envious of. I think, I think they, sure. they see that and I actually think that that is part of why all of these oppressive laws are happening. It's like, that's mm. too radical. That is too free. We cannot have these queer folk, whoever they are, trans folk, LGBTQ, whatever, alphabet people, <laughs> uh, being that free. That's very threatening to the status quo. That's very threatening to our power structures. We don't want that. And that's why we're seeing that. Let me ask you about um, a lesbian bar recently opened up in Silver Lake. And they say it's one of the first lesbian bars in a really, really long time. New bar. Why? How come lesbians don't even want to drink with each other? Women don't drink as much. It's oh, just hard in for, general. It's hard for the bars to stay open. They don't if, make enough if, money. If it's lesbian only. Yeah. Men drink way more. They spend way more money on alcohol. So when... And they have more disposable income to spend on it. That's real, than too. Than lesbian women? Yeah. Oh, because men still make more money. Yeah. So, We're still part of that. <laughs> so this this brunch thing that women have on Saturdays and Sundays with the bottomless mimosas, that's still not, um, you can't make a business around that. You have to have other stuff. So yeah. a lesbian bar just isn't going to work because you guys don't drink. They, they just tend to be shorter lived, but we've seen a lot of them shutting down across the U.S. over the years. Yeah. I mean, there used to be a couple of really great ones in New York. Um you know, but they had lifespans, and they got to a point where it wasn't sustainable. Lesbians love to dance. <laughs> we had some good dance parties. Joan Jett used to show up at those dance parties. She would often be cited. So that's why it has to be a pop-up. So so maybe then, could, could they piggyback on a gay bar then and say, like, Fridays or lesbians nights yeah, or something? Sometimes, sometimes that kind of stuff happens. Hmm. If the owners want to share. <laughs> Right. But yeah, it's just um, it's 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 hard to keep uh, to have a lesbian bar that's like seven days a week. That's hard to do. There's there's a couple in New York that have been there for really, really decades and decades. They're, they're kind of institutions there, but, but it's, it's also, also a giant city. Yeah. So you've a lot of people to yeah. choose from. Yeah. And people will seek it out when they come into town. But yeah, it's it's not easy. All right. Let's uh, wrap up with um, you hinted to the fact that your first book Lesbian Sex Secrets for Men, uh, has advice for straight men. Can you give us one bit of advice from that book? 
Well, we we came back in 2015 and and did the second edition when I was doing my second book because they were both with um, Penguin Random House, and so they said, "Well, oh my God, it sold a lot. Let's let's update it." And so we went back. You know, when we originally wrote the book, we sent out a little email was new then, <laughs> you know, we sent out a little questionnaire by email and got people's responses. So we were like, well, this will be way easier on the socials now to, to check in with people and figure out like, what is it that women are wanting men to know? What, what have they not figured out? Let's see if it's any different. It was not one bit different. It was exactly the same answers that it was Can 15 years before. Go ahead. Men don't go down on women. And yes, when they do, definitely complain. They don't about do that. it as long as the women want them to. Yep. They don't know what they're doing down there. Mm-hmm. They need to learn. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the sex part, the sex sex part, men don't wait for the women to complete. Yeah, I mean, I would say the overall response, the overall biggest response, was slow down and be more gentle. Oh. Just slow the fuck down. Okay. Now, some of us maybe don't always want it gentle or slow. So that's true, too. But by and large, we hear all the time from women, they're going for my genitals too fast. They, they you know, maybe just like even the, the kind of thrusting, the kind of sex they want to have is too fast, too hard, too much. Um, slow down. Slow Interesting. down. Okay. I have another question for you, though. As you know, I've been very popular with the ladies my whole life. (laughs) I have had a few very, I think, very lucky encounters with a few women Mm -hmm. where just magic happened. Mm -hmm. Because Lord knows I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Lord, Lord, the Lord does know that. And so it was, it was earth shattering to me to, to just fit with somebody but also it was it was more of a dance it was more of a dance that we just innately knew mm-hmm. and I didn't we didn't have to talk we didn't have to ask we didn't even do a like we didn't do a recap afterwards you know smoking cigarettes looking at the ceiling other than what the fuck was that and then when we do it again, it was the same. And then again, it was the same. And we didn't get along necessarily in life like that. But when it came to that act, it was absolutely perfect every single time. Is that an anomaly or is that a goal that people should shoot for and they could achieve? I don't think that needs to be a goal. I think it's great if that happens where you just feel like we're like defying this universe, you know, we don't even have to like communicate in 3D time. Um, well, there was a little communication. She did say, don't call me that. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's this, it, that's like the, the part of that romantic myth is the problem that we think well, if we were really made for each other, I wouldn't have to tell you at all. You would just know. True, true. And that's bullshit. Yeah. Nobody knows. Right. I don't even know what my partner wants on the different day sometimes. Oh. So, you know, this idea that 
that if we're just really tuned into each other, we should know is ridiculous. Now, can we learn to tune in and read body signs better and understand what it means when she pulls back like that or or when she arches her back like that or, you know, whatever. Yes, we mm. can learn those things. Mm-hmm. But I think we've got to get away from this idea that we should just know or that somehow that knowing is going to indicate the level of uh, compatibility or receptivity we might have for this particular person. That's just Mm -hmm. not always true. Mm -hmm. And for me, like talking about it's really hot. I love that part. That's foreplay. That's, that's mid play, you know, getting to relive it and talk about, Oh babe. Oh my gosh. (laughs) We had really good sex last night. Let's talk about that. Right. Oh yeah. What was your favorite part? Oh my God. Tell me about that. Oh my God. Right. That's fun. Then we get to relive it again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like, or two years from now. This connection that I'm talking about where it just, it it just, it just clicks. Yeah. Sometimes it does. Cause I imagine some of it's chemistry. Yep. Mick Jagger and Keith Richards have chemistry together. Sure. You know, and fifty years. That's you a just, long time. And you just 60. can't, you just can't pluck somebody else next to Keith Richards, and you and you have the same thing, right? Magic happens sometimes between sure. people. Absolutely. If you're not having good sex with your partner, yeah, repeatedly for years, can that be fixed all the time? No. Sometimes it can. Sometimes it's just not. Sometimes a- it can, and people just really haven't gone the gone the way to you know hey let's like invest in this let's figure out what would make this better let's Mm -hmm. work with someone professional let's go to some workshops together let's read a sexy book together let's i mean there's so many ways to bring new sexual energy into a long-term relationship that people often just don't do and i'm 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 not talking edith bunker and archie bunker i'm talking two evolved people Mm -hmm. who are sexy people mm-hmm. who are in tune and can communicate. Sometimes it just doesn't work, right? Sometimes it doesn't. The magic Sometimes just doesn't, doesn't happen. It just they bodies. love each other as friends. They're wonderful companions, but there's no juice. Right. And then also, I just think we've been we've been sold a lie about what our closest intimate relationships are supposed to look like. You know, we've been told that the same person that you do the bills with. <laughs> You wash their dirty laundry and underwear. Uh, You negotiate picking up the kids and driving them all over town with. Uh, You share a house with and you like never really get a break from, especially pandemic now that everyone's working from home. And like that you're supposed to have sex, sexy, romantic, delicious, sweet, hot times with that same person. Like we've been sold a real bundle here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's like, I, I don't, I, it's not easy for anyone to do that. Well, um, I don't live with my partner and, you know, and we've talked about, we don't know if we will ever live together because really? we really think not living together is a lot of what keeps it hot. Oh. We're like really excited to see each other every time we see each other when we, you know, yeah, we have a couple dates a week and, and we get a lot of time to ourselves and they have a child and they're busy with the child. And so, if, so if two sexy people, mm-hmm. Who love each other, aren't having great sex. Move out. <laughs> Move out. Don't beat yourself up. I'm just kidding. Because it just that might not, not. It's just not be a connection. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's so many things that can be getting in the way, and then also when there's other untended things in a relationship, that's going to show up in the sexual relationship. 
And but but if you truly are committed and you're like, fine, well, let's work this out. Yeah. Let's make this backyard beautiful. Mm-hmm. Do some shrooms, maybe. Do a little ecstasy. Test your ecstasy first. Could be fentanyl in there. Do a ritual with it. A ritual? I did that with my partner recently. What's that? Like a ritual where you're, you, you, like you come candles? in with a lot of intention and you're like decide, you know, we, we made a list of questions we wanted to ask each other. And and we went down those questions and questions gave each other like, like deep, rich questions about about one another, you know, to, to learn more about each other and also about what we thought of the relationship, where we were at in the relationship. Oh, you got real deep. Yeah, we got really deep. Real vulnerable. We gave, we gave each other some real honest feedback. Questions that if... You might not get the answer you want. Yeah. Some of it was really hard. Mm-hmm. But the MDMA helps helps you be really receptive, you know? That's oh, like oh, that's why so much therapy is now being done with psychedelics yeah. because it it opens us up in in a different way. It lowers yeah. our defenses. It you know, if we're in the right headspace, it can really allow for tremendous vulnerability and intimacy and connection. Ecstasy is more like butterflies and sweetness and let me let me touch your skin. Let me see what your hair feels like up against my cheek. And that I think I mean I love that stuff. I love that stuff more than I think a lot of people are actually really missing that. But right. I think for 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 men the the cis men, right? The mm-hmm. The space of intimacy that you've been given permission for is very narrow. True. And so when you want intimacy, you might actually mean something else, but the only thing you know how to ask for or you know to really go for or want is sex, whatever sex is to you. Right. Imagine. And some days maybe it is sex, but. Imagine you're the best. I'm so grateful that we've had our friendship for so long. You continue to educate me. I am so thrilled that you're educating the rest of the planet, too, that I get to share your intelligence and your insight and your study and your 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 courage, because it is courageous to tell the medical professional that they're doing it wrong. We'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see if the, if the medical uh, schools invite us. I hope they do. PBS, I hope they do. good for you for embracing this, because that's also very courageous on their part. Yeah, thank you. Because they don't do a lot of punk rock things like this. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I love you. Thank you for being here. I love you too, Tom. Yay! How great was Imagine? You know whose lost phones we'd help find? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, thanks for letting us hear from a sexpert. Take our money. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinke, Ben Welsh, Jen Adams, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, Dougie Gyro, Christina Up North, Robin Carey, Adam Shorn, Ben from Down Under, Chris from the ATX, and Gregor. To give uh, to be a Patreon, all you gotta do is go to patreon.com slash here in LA. And just give it all, baby. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you got to do is PayPal or Venmo, 25 bucks or more, and we will list you on the Here in LA website or Medium blog forever. Special shout out to our newest Angelino, Sean Atlow. Mercy! Just send your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com. Want to support us, but you just spent a bunch of cash on an adults-only summer camp? 
you can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook, OMG Post 2. Tweet something nice about this. In fact, anytime you see me tweet about an episode, retweet it. And for God's sakes, tell your friends. Tell them how Here in LA is spelled. And it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and Amazon and Spotify and blah, 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 blah. Here in LA is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who would never operate on you without your consent, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by... Jordan Katz. Songs by Orgone and Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and people everywhere doing their best to make the world a better place. Thank you, Patriots!